Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And we are good to go. We had action last week. Uh, we have some football under the belt now, but this is really where it kicks off. Uh, this is the real, real week one, the CFF week one, the betting week one, real not week zero, the, uh, you know, out of town preview or whatever it is of week zero. Um, now we are ready for the real deal, a bunch of ranked teams going and a lot of huge games. So, um, Nick, I know you have been working on depth charts constantly and week one is a big, you know, checking in on depth charts and who started and who got snaps and all that good stuff. It's probably the most brutal week of the season for you to start with all of the changes, but, uh, are you ready? Are, are we ready to go? And how did you enjoy the action last week? So I thought week zero was was fun, obviously. Uh, it was great to get college football back first and foremost. But it it was uh, it was kind of cool, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word. Cool, fine. I was trying not to say interesting because I say that 18 times. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of like spring training in a way. It was kind of like, bit. you know, preseason football. Uh, obviously, the games count even though there weren't very many that were, you know, huge stakes from a conference championship or playoff, uh, you know, perspective. Um, obviously, you know, might be some rather large stakes as to whether or not a, a particular head coach is able to keep his job much longer. But um, it was good for me to get my feet wet a little bit, get back in the rhythm a little bit of watching games. I'm in a new uh, you know, believe it or not, have moved <laughs> since the last season. As if you're a, a first-time listener, uh, that is pretty common for me. I move a lot, but you know, the new setup and the new office, getting used to things, getting back into the uh, weekly calendar, the daily calendar of all the stuff you know on my to-do list to check off. So it was kind of nice to have you know a dozen games uh, instead of. I mean, this week, what do we have? 60 or I mean it's it's you know so many uh more than that even I think it's like 80 total but um it was good to knock the rust off a little bit it was it was uh good to not be completely overwhelmed by a full season uh or a full slate I should say of games but also just getting football back um getting to watch from noon to I mean, I think the last game wrapped up around 2 a.m. Um, it was just great. It, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, the Northwestern Nebraska uh, game certainly gave us plenty uh, to discuss. Um, I was maybe my biggest takeaway uh, from the rest uh, were Charlotte. I think is really in trouble. Uh, in addition to the three teams that are, you know, that we've talked about plenty as being at the extreme low end in returning production, uh, Wyoming, Nevada, and Hawaii all were, you know, definitely shaky. Nevada was able to win the other two, uh, not so much, but um, 
Charlotte, I think, is is in trouble. And, you know, quarterback Chris Reynolds got hurt. Um, but uh, that didn't look like a good football team. And, you know, the defense we, we discussed was uh, pretty poor last year. Didn't look a whole lot improved. And I think just some sloppiness that I was not expecting. I thought they were going to be uh, a good bit better. So other than, you know, Northwestern to me looks improved. Nebraska, of course, uh, just can't seem to get out of its own way. Um, but other than that, I think the, the takeaway from me, because I try not to overreact to one game, especially, um, you know, a short slate of, of games like this. But um, I keep thinking about Charlotte. I think they think they might be in trouble. Xavier, what are your uh, what were your impressions of week zero? Obviously, uh, you know, we know Scott Frost uh, seat got a little hotter uh, at Nebraska. If not, you know, that might have been the the final straw eventually by the end of the year for him. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of blowouts here. Week zero, a lot of teams not ready. A lot of teams were very ready. Uh, so what were your biggest takeaways from week zero? First takeaway, obviously, is exactly what you said. You know, exactly what Nick said. Nebraska finds ways to lose ball games that they shouldn't lose. Um, that, that was a game that I felt like Nebraska had all the answers and still forgot to take the test. Um, I, I just didn't see what or how they lost that ball game, to be perfectly honest with you. And I watched it for a second time all the way through and still did not realize how they lost that game um, outside of Ryan Helinski, you know, being very, very good. Uh, you know, maybe this is a good year for, for Northwestern, as they talked about on the broadcast. Even years have been good for Northwestern and odd years have been bad. So far, so good for Northwestern in 2022. Um, Ryan Helinski, like I said in the, you know, in the previous episode, did what he was supposed to do. Um, you know, I said if he could take that next step and become the bona fide starter, he would, you know, Northwestern would look a ton better. And he did. And they did offensively. They, they got pretty much whatever they wanted on the ground and through the air uh, seemingly all day uh, as um, opposed to a couple of turnovers that they had. Um, oh, quick shout out to Vanderbilt. Got to. Yeah. I mean, listen, we came in. I, I don't think I was the only person that was pessimistic about Vanderbilt possibly beating Hawaii. Not only that, but Hawaii scored on their first drive seemingly pretty easy, uh, walked into the end zone on a 35, 40-yard run, and I was like, well, here comes same old Vandy, and they could not have played a better game on both sides of the football. Um, I'm not going to say this is going to translate to some, you know, Vandy renaissance here, but, you know, they definitely found a quarterback who can run. I mean, ran for, you know, uh, ran for over uh, 180 yards, I believe, with, it was uh, Mike Wright's final total, uh, 163, excuse me, uh, two touchdowns, also threw for 146 with two scores, you know. Uh, I mean, t- the defense forced a slew of turnovers, a couple of them being returned for a, a, a touchdown. It's just a really good afternoon for a team that I don't think anybody saw winning in that degree. Uh, oh, and last but not least, I have to shout out UConn. Yes, they lost, but they covered. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you know, I, I think, you know, they, they played rather well at one point in that game leading, uh, you know, only losing by 11, I think was uh, a move in the right direction. You know, once again, we talked about it on the, I talked about it on the podcast last week, you know, uh, um, uh, a morale boosting loss. If you can say that, you know, they didn't absolutely get drubbed. You had 14, nothing at the end of the first quarter, things were looking up. Obviously Utah state, you know, puts a 24 point second quarter together to ultimately get the win. But, you saw some positives. Nathan Carter ran for 190 yards. 
um, you know, almost 200 in, 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 you know, in the game. Obviously, the quarterback play should have been better. And if it was better, maybe the, the, the final score ends up being different. But, uh, you know, just happy to have college football back. More important, you know, did, did, I talked to Scott about this towards the end of last week's podcast. This was the first and not the only Saturday that I sat at home all day. Absolutely <laughs> all. Did not move uh, from, from, from my seat. You felt know, right, watching. didn't it? It felt amazing. I mean, and, you know, <laughs> the only problem I had all day was having to find all the different channels that these games were on because it wasn't your typical primetime. So CBS yeah. Sports HQ was something I had to search for for about 15 minutes to find the UConn game for a second there. So uh, I'm outside of that. 21, if I'm yeah, not exactly. mistaken. 221 right. on the direct TV. Did you guys find uh, UTEP at, uh, or nope. North Texas at UTEP? Nope. nope. Well, was that on sports? Stadium? You don't have Fubo yeah. Sports? Oh, man. No, I don't have Fubo. Yeah, no, stadium. I will have Fubo as soon as the NFL package leaves direct TV. That's so, true. Uh, I will have Fubo because it gets all that stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I was trying to find it. I went on like it says stadium. I go on stadium.com and it gives you nothing. nothing. Uh, then it was in a lightning delay. It was just total, like it, it's so <laughs> it's so stupid the way uh, they do some of these. This is why we need the mega conference to get the TV package all wrapped up into one. So we're not going to ACC network and Pac-12 and DirecTV can't come together. I sound like an old man. Uh, anyway, how, 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 how could you not want to go see that one Duquesne player whose pants reminded you of the 1930s? I mean, yeah, that exactly. Is, <laughs> that my, was, my favorite, my favorite meme of the week was, is this a drip or no? You know, uh, <laughs> one of those, uh, obviously not. Uh, but, but Nick, uh, obviously, uh, working on hard on the depth charts after week zero, we've got a little glimpse here and there of, of depth charty things in the news, but, Really, the action all will come week one. So what has been, were there any surprises from week zero for you or any surprises announced um, as far as the depth charts go so far? Uh, nothing comes to mind immediately. And that's mainly because my brain is a little bit fried just from trying to uh, scroll through all these screenshots of depth charts. I mean, I've got 35 tabs open uh on my laptop right now just uh, trying to to get all these done um and uh, fortunately you know we we do put in a lot of time um in the weeks and months leading up to the season uh, trying to update you know looking for whatever sources we can get practice reports and and you know other uh pieces of of information previews and and things like that so for the most part, uh, there weren't any just complete, completely unexpected uh, changes. I mean, I'll, I'll go through, uh, adjust teams based on the, the depth charts, put in you know new numbers for freshmen, update height and weight, uh, things like that. Um, and then I'll go through and, and double check the uh, projected win percentage and, and win total projection for the season. And, you know, they'll they'll move percentage points. I mean, I'm, I'm one, two, three percent. Um, so it's it's not like this is super impactful for our projections. But you mentioned this is kind of the busiest week of the year. Uh, in a lot of ways, it is because it's the best chance I get personally um, to get all this information at once 
to get that last run through, if not the full roster, a, a big, big chunk of it, the most important part of it, the guys we're expected to actually see on the on the field, um, and see if there are any surprises. You know, I do sometimes come across uh, players who um, are incoming transfers that I didn't catch for whatever reason over the last few months. Uh, that'll happen every, you know, five or six teams. Um, and it might be a second string left guard, but, you know, still want to make our, our team profiles as uh, close to accurate and, and perfect as we can. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's not super impactful, but I do think it's important because if we didn't go through them all, you know, uh, we might miss something and, and never know. So um, it is a busy time and there are occasionally surprises, but at least so far haven't been any just complete shocker, you know, didn't expect this guy to be the uh, starting quarterback, didn't expect this guy to be, uh, you know, we thought he was going to be the, the number one receiver and he's on the not even on the depth chart. That, that sort of stuff is pretty rare. Um, and then also – Final you know, note on this, I do make changes based on the depth charts we're given, but also if you're looking at our stuff and know that, you know, as I'm doing it, I don't put 100% faith in the depth chart that teams and coaches put out there. <laughs> I mean, there, there are, uh, they are not gospel. They are, they are uh, able to be, you know, change very quickly. A, a great example, actually, the UConn game. And leading up to that game, uh, they released a depth chart officially. You know, Jim Mora, new head coach, first depth chart uh, with his, his new team. And Robert Burns was listed as the number one running back, a guy who played 20 snaps last year, ahead of Nate Carter, who was the, you know, starter and heavy, heavy workload type guy. And so there were, you know, some folks who were really, really dialed in um, and some CFF folks and DFS, you know, of course, uh, have to dig a little deeper on week zero. And there were folks that were just like, oh, well, you know, Nate Carter, we, we have to take him out of our lineups or, or you know, have to uh, just have to assume that he's not going to be the number one ball carrier this year. And Nate Carter had the best, you know, most impressive game of, of any uh, running back we saw this past week just didn't happen to start. Doesn't necessarily mean um, that, that you write him off completely because, you know, maybe he's not in there for that first snap, but he's in there for the second and it goes 50 yards or whatever it was uh, that he did and, and ended up with 190. So um, anyway, long winded as usual, but it's something, <laughs> something we do, but uh, it, it's also, uh, important to to keep an eye on how things actually play out. And on Saturday, a big part of my day will be like, oh, okay, this this didn't actually uh, work its way quite like I mean, the depth chart had. And a lot of the times, Nick, you know, e even if it's all uh, good intentions of this guy is going to start, you give him the first couple quarters, he gets beat like a drum. It doesn't really matter what position he is. He's going to get benched uh, early in that game. So, you know, um, things will change throughout the entire year, of course, but week one, um, 
always the toughest for anything, really. It's the toughest to predict. It's the toughest to know the depth chart. Uh, so it, it's it's a hard one. Uh, you know, my picks last week were garbage uh, in in week zero. Uh, so um, you know, it, it's just it's just the way it goes because you you don't have any you know. You, yeah, you dig a little bit of a hole, and you have to wait a whole. You got to wait a whole week. There's no yeah. Sunday to make up those games. Uh, you know, the, we we're not sitting on Monday Night Football here uh, to make up those games either. So you know, it's because uh, I ain't betting on NFL preseason. I just refuse to do it. It's uh, it's garbage. Uh, I'm a degenerate. I'm not that big of a degenerate. Yeah, I was like mine. that. Sounds like the depths. That sounds like people who do like low cricket games and yeah, football. yeah. Yeah, you you are off. Uh, you know what? What is it? The uh, the offshore track, uh, yeah. horse gambling and all that stuff. Where hey, look, they're racing horses in Dubai, and you can gamble at it here. You know, uh, I, I'm not that. That's too much did, for me. Did you get so. the Mount Union spread this weekend? Like no. No, no, no thank you. I did not see that exactly. So, uh, with that being said, let's dive in. Uh, to some of these week one games and look obviously there are a million to pick from this week but we're gonna stick to a couple of our favorites and let's start with thursday you know there's over 20 games uh between thursday and friday for us to watch here uh as we kick off week one but the games we want to hone in on here the first one is west virginia at Pitt, the official line is Pitt by seven and a half. The total is 51. Uh, Nick, we'll start with you on uh, the backyard brawl here. Who do you like in this game? Uh, Pitt obviously replacing a lot of talent. West Virginia kind of working through uh, some stuff as well. So who do you like in this game and why? So one thing that, that I'm going to try my best to uh, stick to this year, and, and I hope We'll be able to get to more games. I think we, you know, do a good job when we uh, deep dive into a game. But I kind of want to give a little bit more of a uh, me personally, just sort of a quick look and how the projections see it, um, and then whether I sort of agree or, or disagree. And uh, our official projected point spread, um, which this is a disclaimer for for uh, everyone, we do publish these on Patreon. Our subscribers uh, do see them first and, and do get them before we talk about them here on the show. But um, these aren't necessarily like, you know, picks of the week, best bets, all that sort of stuff. It, it's mostly just uh, a way that we can test how the numbers are doing. Um, I use them for, you know, quality control stuff in the off season um, based on what we've learned the last four years doing this. Uh, completely rebuilt two of our three models over the off season, our talent edge model, which only looks at uh, talent factors like recruiting and, and our roster strength numbers. Uh, and then our prison uh, prism, it's not prison uh, prism model, which is our projected scoring margin, which is our stats only. And it's probably the closest if you're familiar with uh, SP plus and, and things like that. It's more in that uh, range of things, but our official projected point spread is, is a little bit of a blend of those two. And then also, you know, our team ratings, our coaching ratings and, and things like that. So uh, on West Virginia and Pitt specifically, uh, we see in our official projection, we're on Pitt, uh, relatively close. Uh, we have an eight and a half instead of seven and a half. The talent edge model is a little bit tighter. 
We have Pitt as about a seven-point favorite if you're only looking at our talent factors. Uh, but the one that kind of jumps out a little bit, uh, the stats only model, which I'm I'm really maybe the most excited about this year. I was really, really happy with the way things worked out and, and sort of the, the work that went into it. It didn't have a good week one or week zero at all, uh, but I, I'm still relatively confident that, that it's going to be good for us this year. Uh, it shows Pitt as having a pretty big edge uh, in that projection, which is a three-year weighted average of, I don't know, 100 different stats, who knows, uh, but of the, the team, the head coach, and uh, both coordinators of the last three years. Pitt just has been the better team, simply. And our PRISM model has uh, the Panthers favored by closer to 17, 16 and a half, a little more than that. So um, based on you know past performance, Pitt's got an edge here. Um, you mentioned there is some turnover and you know new offensive coordinator uh, having to replace a um, you know first round draft pick at quarterback is never easy. Um, having to replace the best wide receiver in college football, you know, according to the Bolitnikoff Award voters, uh, is certainly not going to be easy. Nevertheless, the pit defense, you know, pretty strong, still relatively experienced. Um, and I don't necessarily trust either transfer quarterback. Pitt, it's Keaton Slovis and West Virginia, it's JT Daniels. But I think if I had to choose, I kind of trust Slovis a little bit more. So uh, I do think that Pitt is going to be, um, you know, I think it'll be a close game. Uh, I think it'll be a fun game. And that in the fourth quarter, there's probably, you know, a chance for Pitt to pull away into that, you know, eight to 10 to 14 range, make it a two score game. And so with that, I, I, I am glad that we're on pit um, to cover here. Uh, it's pretty rare this week that we're on favorites, uh, which I don't feel great about because favorites have a history of doing pretty well in week one. Um, but our projected final score is 32, 24 pit. A lot of those favorites crushed last week, and it seemed like if they didn't crush, they lost. It was weird. Um, Xavier, your thoughts on the backyard brawl here um, between Pitt and West Virginia? Do you like Pitt in this game as well? Uh, you know, they're replacing a lot, but West Virginia also a bit in flux here. Yeah, absolutely. My, my, my thing about the, the Pitt-West Virginia game is going to come down to quarterback play. Uh, Pitt's defense is way too good to just, you know, roll over. Um, I don't think that Pitt's defense is going to show any signs, uh, you know, take any step back from last season. I mean, if anything, it might even be better. Uh, but this is going to come down to whether or not Keaton Slovis can find a continuity with his receivers. Um, obviously, loading, losing Jordan Addison is a huge miss, but it's going to be, you know, what quarterback shows a, a level of continuity and consistency the earliest in that game. Uh, I think both teams will be relying on them to, to move their offense down the field. I think JT Daniels is a little bit behind the eight ball in that situation, only, you know, transferring in later than Keaton Slovis obviously did um, and not necessarily having the, the full spring to his disposal. Uh, but, but in this game, I, I genuinely think that that's where it comes down to. And for that reason, I'm going to pick Pitt. I think their defense is just better. Uh, it will keep them in the ballgame if Keaton Slovis isn't having the best afternoon and will also make it very difficult for JT Daniels to get online with those receivers who he's just met uh, for the most part. So 
I'm, I'm gonna pit pit. I'm going to pit pit for that reason. Um, now, I wouldn't be surprised to see you know both quarterbacks go out there and look great. I also wouldn't be surprised to see both quarterbacks look absolute garbage. But in that case. I would, you know, I would have to lean then on Pitt's defense being the determining factor, and their defense, in my opinion, is far and away better than West Virginia's at this point. All right, the next Thursday game we have up here is uh, Penn State against Purdue. The official line here being Penn State by uh, three and a half, with the total of fifty-three and a half. Um, early test here uh, for for Penn State, Nick. Um, you know. Uh, Purdue at home is tough. This is uh, a smaller line than we'd expect uh, for Penn State, uh, even on the road. So what do we think of this game? Can the Boilermakers pull this off? Right. And and real quick, you mentioned the official line. We always compare our projections to the Vegas Insider consensus line. So when we're uh, talking about you know, our point spreads, it's it's when we publish those uh, on Patreon and, and sort of what we're grading against each week. Three and a half is, yeah, a, a, a uh, curious number. Pitt, uh, not playing in this game, Penn State, is the more talented team. And that's sort of where our biggest uh, difference in our projections and, and the odds makers um, but even that, you know, talent edge, which does have a home field advantage, um, adjustment to it uh, shows Penn state is about a five and a half point favorite. So still well within a touchdown, um, you would expect, or, you know, I would, because Purdue does have to replace some big time playmakers. I mean, on both sides of the ball, George Karloftis on, uh, defense was a, a first round pick David Bell, a top 100 pick, but also just incredibly, incredibly productive career. Um, and Aiden O'Connell's been quite good, been a, a very productive quarterback, but as a former walk-on, you know, I certainly do still have a bias against guys who are former walk-ons. It, it, you know, I struggle a little bit to, to sort of give them the respect that maybe they've earned. And, and so uh, I still kind of discount O'Connell a little bit personally and and probably probably shouldn't that's a that's a flaw in my uh process but you know just sort of thinking it, it, as he being the most um recognizable person in this offense right now uh we will get to know Tyrone Tracy a transfer from Iowa who has been playing running back and wide receiver Charlie Jones also transferred from Iowa um has gotten a lot of camp buzz and is somebody who uh, played high school ball with O'Connell, which is kind of an interesting connection. Um, Payne Durham, really good tight end. Brock Thompson had a huge, huge bowl game, has been banged up a lot this fall, but uh, expected to play uh, based on everything I've, I've seen so far. So, you know, Purdue offensively should be fun, should be a, a really exciting uh, passing offense for sure. And then we'll see what the transfer of Kobe Lewis uh, former thousand yard rusher at, at Central Michigan, uh, how that impacts the running game, uh, or if King DeRoe can, you know, kind of recapture uh, some of what made him a, a four star recruit coming out of high school. So Purdue is is always, you know, tough to beat at home. Um, does have plenty of upsets. Penn State does have a talent advantage. Going to be uh, very fun to see uh, true freshman running back Nick Singleton 
five-star guy, uh, transfer Mitchell Tinsley is going to come in and, and uh, hope to you know, replace some of the production that made Jahan Dotson a first-round draft pick. Parker Washington looks like the next man up as far as uh, being that go-to wide receiver. And then Penn State has a, a long history, and last year was certainly no exception, of just putting defensive players in the NFL. So uh, should be a good matchup between a you know one of the better passing offenses in the Big Ten and at least on paper uh, or last year. You know, Penn State put uh, the number four uh, defensive team performance against the pass um, rating last year. So uh, assuming they're able to uh, replace some of the guys that they lost and they will get back P.J. Mustafer, former all uh, Big Ten player who was hurt a good chunk of last season. Uh, three, you know, he'll be the, the uh, third of the uh, returning starters up front. I feel like Penn State, you know, in my mind, should be favored by more. However, the numbers, you know, really do expect a close game. Our projected point spread is uh, right at three points officially. Our uh, prism model, it's closer to one and a half. And then I already mentioned the talent edge uh, being five and a half. So uh, we're on Purdue to cover. We're actually on the under as well. Um, Our final score prediction, 28-25. Uh, you know, uh, 30, 24 in my mind uh, might be the more likely outcome, but uh, it is in West Lafayette opening uh, night, Thursday night. Um, some funny things can happen. So it wouldn't shock me at all if Purdue keeps this thing close or, you know, maybe even pulls off an upset. I can tell you that right now, the majority of the cash uh, 61% is on Purdue right now. Yeah. Uh, now, what what do you think about this game, uh, Xavier? This is a nice close one to start. A good challenge for Penn State, but Purdue can upset them at home. You know, honestly, the, the more and more Nick talked about it, I, I wouldn't be too terribly surprised. This is a team that, you know, yes, they lost their best receiver, their best offensive player last year. Uh, but I, I do think that Charlie Jones will hit the ground running. I, I loved him at Iowa. Thought he wasn't used nearly as much in an offense that, as we know, is pretty—I won't call it barbaric, but it's just old. It's just old. Um, you know, I, I think Neil. I think O'Donnell is ready to take that next step as a passer. Um, I said this when we did the the, uh, the preview for Purdue. Is I think that this is the year that he's going to have to put it kind of all together. Um, and if he can do so, and I said O'Donnell earlier, I would say O'Connell, excuse me. Um, I, I think this is a, an opportunity for him to really take that next step. Kind of what we expected maybe out of Tanner Morgan last year. Um, you know, a guy who breaks that 30 touchdown um, barrier, uh, breaks into that 4,000 passing yard mark, possibly. I mean, just has a really excellent year. Scott, I can see him as being one of those guys who ends up being talked about a ton come draft week uh, and come uh, or, or combine week as a sleeper for a lot of teams, because I think he could just have that good of a year. And I don't, and if he's able to do so without bell being there, I think he'll be able, you know, that'll just add to the fire, uh, you know, uh, to, to what he's able to bring to the table on the flip side with Penn state, you know, the quarterback position for me ha- has just been weird. I, it, some games, you know, Sean Clifford looks like, you know, he, he understands what he needs to be doing. Other games, he decides I'm just going to run a ton and, and I don't have exactly what, I, what I'm looking for. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to what he does in this game, especially with him not, no longer having Jahan Dotson. Let's see what he does from the receiver position. Um, that, that's obviously going to be a huge miss. Uh, both teams obviously losing both of the, their top pass catchers that last year. I think 
offensively, Penn State has shown a better propensity of running the football. So I believe that they should win this game. Um, defensively, I think they'll be better than Purdue coming into this matchup. Purdue obviously has to replace George Karloftis, who uh, was their animal uh, over the last couple of seasons there, um, obviously. So I, I think that Purdue definitely, whereas the money might be pouring in for them, I'm not ready to say that they're going to beat Penn State in game one. Wouldn't be surprised for an up- upset. Love Jack Sullivan on that defense for them. Um, but I'm going to lean towards Penn State. This is a team that I have kind of ruining some seasons later on in the year, and it would be a very bad start if they lost to Purdue in game one. Now let's go over to Saturday and go to uh, North Carolina on the road against App State. Uh, I believe this line has flipped since North Carolina's poor showing against Florida A&M, a team that uh, you mentioned it on last week's show, Nick, that a fifth of the athletic budget was wrapped up in that game. They had athletic, uh, um, academic issues and 20 guys couldn't play. They dressed seven offensive linemen and, uh, still beat the spread against North Carolina, which, uh, was sad for a team like North Carolina. So now this line has moved to app state as a one point favorite at home. Uh, the total is 56. Is this, um, is this too much too fast after a uh, middling performance from uh, North Carolina against Florida A&M and they will beat App State? Or is this, you know, probably where the line should be and App State absolutely has a chance to win this game? Uh, well, until, you know, the game played out the way it did on Saturday, uh, this was a situation where our numbers – uh, thought the wrong team was favored. We've had Appalachian State favored, uh, I think, since the very beginning, since our very first run of, of projected point spreads. So um, it was uh, I, a little bit of a downer because uh, that's been something that's traditionally been a pretty good uh, point of pride for us is, is when our projection differs from the odds makers. And it just so happened that we got a, a glimpse at North Carolina and there were some exciting things. I mean, I think Drake may is going to be a really exciting quarterback um, five touchdown passes in his first uh, career start is pretty impressive. Um, even if you're you know, playing an FCS opponent that is severely shorthanded because of uh, you know, some outside factors Um there are a couple of really uh, fun, true freshmen who are going to make a big impact for North Carolina at running back. Omarion Hampton um, had a big game. And there are uh, some really talented guys in that backfield where, you know, unfortunately we didn't get to see British Brooks because, you know, he suffered a season-ending injury in fall camp. But um, that kind of speeds up the timeline a little bit for Hampton specifically, for George Petaway, who was actually a slightly uh, higher-rated recruit, um, for some sophomores who came in with uh, some buzz last year, you know, DJ Jones, Caleb Hood, guys like that. Um, unfortunately, Josh Downs, who's one of the best receivers in college football, uh, got kind of looked like he tweaked a knee a little bit, and we've we've heard that uh, sounds like he's questionable t- 
to play, which we currently have Downs, who is a max rated player, you know, 100 uh, overall in our individual player ratings. Uh, we, we currently have it listed as if he is expected to play. Um, if he is not, you know, then this number would, would go up a little bit. But right now we have App State favored uh, by almost two points. Um, our stats-only model loves App State, uh, has the Mountaineers favored by closer to uh, eight, actually, over a touchdown in this game, which also is in Boone, North Carolina, by the way, um, which even though it's, you know, within the same state, I don't know if, if uh, you guys have ever been to Boone. It's, it's not easy to get to. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's up there and it's, it's a cool place. I would certainly, uh, suggest visiting if you can, but, uh, it is, you know, it, there's going to be a little bit of a home field advantage there, uh, even with a relatively short travel, um, situation for North Carolina. The one thing of course is North Carolina has the talent edge and, and this is one where, um, our, you know, talent edge model is is got uh, North Carolina favorite outright has them as about a four point favorite. Um, so it fights a little bit with our uh, other two models. Um, but you know, App State has been one of those teams that's consistently played better on the field than their talent numbers would indicate. And you know, we have App State; um, they've long been our uh, Sun Belt. Uh, you know, highest rated team. They've got a very experienced quarterback coming back, a couple of former all Sun Belt uh, running backs. You know, the defense has got some really talented players, guys like Stephen Jones, Trey Cobb, uh, even though they've got to replace um, some good, fr- you know, good guys up front. I still do think that, you know, offensive line wise, offense wise, and consistently, you know, App State does a pretty good job. Uh, of putting together a, a solid defense, top 30 across the board, top 20 overall in defensive team performance last year. North Carolina is certainly good enough, I think, to to win this game. Um, but App State was able to learn a little bit, uh, I would imagine, from the uh, you know game against Florida A&M. Um, and that's a little bit of an advantage. Certainly a winnable game for North Carolina, but uh, don't be surprised if, if App State pulls it out either. What do, what do you think here, Xavier? Do you think that uh, App State pulls off the – I think it would be an upset in most people's minds, but obviously they are the favorite team here at home. So how do you how do you see this game playing out? Yeah, give me App State. I've had App State as the winner for this game when I saw it on the schedule. Um, I think this is the, the, another year where App State can put together, you know um, – where a couple of years ago where they were able to beat North Carolina and beat South Carolina and they were, you know, claimed themselves as the best team in the state. I think they'll put together a, a rather impressive win on Saturday. I, I think that what we saw from North Carolina, at least defensively, was my biggest concern. To give up 24 points to, to, to FAMU was just ridiculous, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. A team that barely filled anybody, one, and, and two, you know, just didn't really come to play. You know, um, so I, I think that when you look at it, maybe, yes, North Carolina could have been overlooking FAMU. And maybe that's the reason why they gave up 24 points. But after you give up two scores as a defense, you're kind of like, these guys aren't better than us. Maybe this is the time we turn it on. Another 10 after that, you're like, hey, you know, we play football too. Like, I, I just don't, you know, I, I don't understand how they, how they were able to do that. Um, and against App State, where I, where I believe, you know, Chase Bryce has, you know, some – 
How do I best put this? Chase Bryce has traveled all over the college football scene. This is another year where I think he puts it all together. Um, you know, last year he stumbled kind of out of the blocks, but, uh, you know, obviously he put together a pretty good season. I think App State's trying to get back to what they did best, um, you know, and they were at one point one of the best team, best G5 teams in the country. I think over the last couple of years, they kind of feel hard. I won't say hard done by, but they definitely haven't reached their pinnacle, which is essentially winning the Sun Belt every year and being in that conversation as a top 25 team at the end of the year. I think that they are trying to get back to that. Offensively, they've gotten more than a good enough team. They have a very senior-laden offense, which I think is going to help tremendously. Not only are the receivers all the receiving core, you know, starting wise is going to be littered with juniors. Their offensive line only had features one freshman, and that's the center. He's going to be playing next to four uh, seniors, uh, so I think he'll be fine. Um, not only you know the tight end room, seniors, even in their running back room, seniors. This is just a team that I think is poised to make a run like that. Um, I'm not a huge fan of North Carolina going into this ball game. Um, Let's just put it this way. If App State won by two touchdowns, I wouldn't be surprised. Wow. Perfectly honest. Wow. I would not be surprised in the slightest. Hmm. I I think App State is just a better ball club, and I think that in previous years, North Carolina has had that one or two special, special players to keep them afloat. They don't have that right. I just don't believe that they have that in this game. In in previous years, they had Sam Howell that could, you know, whether it was running or, or, or passing, he did it both ways. I don't know if Drake May is that guy just yet, and I'm not going to take 56 points against FAMU as an indicator. Give me App State. Give me App State, uh, you know, handedly winning this ball game. All right. Well, let's move to a ranked-on-ranked matchup here. Uh, going to be a really good one. Cincinnati on the road at Arkansas, and uh, Arkansas is the six-point favorite here. 52 is the line. Um, both these teams with a decent amount to replace sec team, always going to get love here, uh, specifically, you know, being the home team. So what do you think? Uh, Cincinnati, uh, lost a lot to the NFL. I mean, uh, Alabama level, uh, amount moving off of this team to the next level, uh, Arkansas losing their best playmaker in Traylon Burks. So how do you see this one playing out Nick? Uh, this is one where our three models really kind of uh, disagree uh, quite a bit. You know, Arkansas has certainly a talent edge. Uh, seven and a half points is uh, currently our, our projected uh, point spread when you're only looking at roster strength and, and talent factors. Uh, however, the stats only model has Cincinnati favored by more than a touchdown, you know, based on uh, last year, most specifically. Uh, but the, the three-year window, and they've certainly had uh, some, you know, pretty steady, uh, though they, they did, of course, have to replace Marcus Freeman as defensive coordinator a couple of years ago. But, you know, they've kept uh, head coach uh, consistently, Luke, uh, Luke Fickle, sorry, um, you know, has been there, has built the program. Uh, to be a consistent winner and play at a high level. And even though they do get dinged a little bit for uh, strength of schedule, especially, you know, compared to a team like Arkansas, uh, they still have played at an incredibly high level the past few years, of course, you know, with the the crowning achievement to date being the undefeated regular season and and the playoff spot. Um, So it certainly is understandable uh, that if we're only looking at statistical factors and, and you know, past team performance, that Cincinnati would be 
projected to, to make this a game. Um, when we look at the official model, we basically see a toss-up, which um, does you know show a, a relative edge compared to that uh, Vegas Insider consensus point spread. Um, I think our model is probably um, uh, giving Cincinnati just a, a touch too much credit uh, because you know, you mentioned they did lose so much and not just experienced players, but uh, they had the second most NFL draft picks. Um, that That is uh, not going to be easy for a team like Georgia or Alabama to, to, you know, get through without some questions. And a team like Cincinnati, one of the best G5 recruiters in the country, but still a G5 uh, program, you know, as we speak right now, not for much longer, but um, consistently has recruited at a, you know, top 50-ish level, uh, top 40 on, on occasion, getting getting close to that top 40. Um, but it's it's going to be a little bit of a transition, and, and they certainly, I think, will be one of the contenders in the AAC. Um, but this is a tough draw, and an Arkansas team that's got – you know, top 20 talent consistently uh, recruits in the, you know, top 25 level, give or take a, a, a few spots. So um, KJ Jefferson, exciting quarterback, deep running back group. Uh, you mentioned, you know, they do have to replace Traylon Burks and, and the wide receiver core is a little bit of a question. Um, but defensively, Arkansas improved quite a bit last year. And they've got their own, you know, returning production that, that they need to replace on that side of the ball. They rank 115th um, in defensive returning production, but they hit the transfer portal hard, brought in some uh, starters, you know, guys like Jordan Dominic, uh, Drew Sanders, Dwight McLothern, uh, Latavius Brinney, guys who are going to be playing a lot and also get you know, healthier at some spots as well, including at safety with Jalen Catalan, uh, who missed a big chunk of last year. So um, I think this is one where I I disagree just a touch with um, our official projection. I wish we had Arkansas as a, a bigger favorite here. Um, would it shock me if Cincinnati goes in there and plays really well? No, because they're you know, track record the last several years has been uh, that of a program that is capable of of uh, beating a team like Arkansas. Um, nevertheless, you know, I'm, I'm relatively uh, high on Arkansas, and I do think that you know Cincinnati has has got uh, probably a little bit of a, a transition period where you know they're they're not going to be just full steam ahead. Um, they, they've got to, you know, replace a new quarterback, running back, top receiver. I mean, every the defense, uh, position. Really, group. Nick, I Absolutely. mean, the, the, the defense is so enormous. You lose uh, Sauce Gardner. You lose Kobe Bryant. You lose Darian Beavers. Uh, 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 Brian Cook, who could start for, for the Chiefs My at some point this year. Uh, My J. Sanders, Sanders, Curtis Brooks. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ritter, Ford, <laughs> Young, Pierce. It's so much. To lose, Xavier. I mean, um, it, it just seems like 
this is probably going to be too high of a mountain for Cincinnati to climb this year. You know, Arkansas, not even the best team in the SEC by a wide stretch, but good enough to, um, I think, quiet down Cincinnati in this game. Do you think uh, Cincinnati's got a shot, or do you think this is an Arkansas uh, walk? Arkansas should walk this game. Should. Like, emphasis on should. Similarly to what I said last week, we were talking about FAU Charlotte, and I was saying FAU's just way more talented. They should walk that game, and ultimately they ended up doing so. But I think when you look at this game, you look at Arkansas, they returned so much important production. And where they lost it, they brought in guys like Jaden Hayden-Wood, you know, Matt Landers, who had a pretty good season at Toledo last year, uh, you know, Nick Lewis to, to Drew Sanders. And, you know, I, and obviously the most important thing is they bring back K.J. Jefferson, you know, who I think is going to take a, a genuine step forward in the passing game this year, somewhere where I think he struggled last year um, in, in, you know, in tight spots. Uh, he just didn't feel comfortable. He didn't look comfortable, you know, sitting there in the pocket. But also, you know, they, they, he's a guy who can kill you on the ground. And I think that's where, you know, this game is really going to be lost for Cincinnati is, how do you stop KJ Jefferson if his arm gets to go? If those receivers get to going, it's going to be a long afternoon because he is somebody who can just bludgeon you on the ground. Not from a speed perspective, he's also bigger than probably 65% of your defense. You know, he's not a small kid at all. That's a big dude. Um, you know, and so it makes it, you know, that much harder to bring him down. Uh, it makes almost third and ones almost impossible to stop unless, you know, you just, you know, play it ex exactly right. So I just don't feel, you know, Cincinnati is going to be able to do that. The other piece, too, is that they're secondary. You know, we, we talk about all the people that they lost. They lost, what, the best secondary in college football, if not top yeah. three last year. And so, you know, you talk about what they lose. You talk about what Arkansas brought in from a receiver standpoint. If K.J. Jefferson can throw the football at the rate that I believe he should this year to take that genuine next step, it's going to be a long afternoon for Cincinnati. And they don't have Desmond Ritter, you know, and Ford and Pierce to, you know, you know, quiet, you know, help on the offensive side of the ball. I understand Cincinnati comes into the year ranked, but I just don't see it. I just don't see where, you know, there should be any money on the Cincinnati side because they've lost so much talent, and this isn't Bama. Like, they're not just all of a sudden going to bring back another three-year starter in Desmond Ritter. Maybe, maybe they do, but this is going to be year one of that situation under Ben Bryant, who's a transfer in his own right uh, and, and a senior at that. So, yeah, like, I just don't see where – you find, you know, where you find yourself talking into a possible Cincinnati win, unless you just feel like Arkansas isn't there yet, you know, and this is one of those games that Arkansas is still susceptible to losing because they haven't figured out how to win these kind of games just yet. That's the only way I can see. All right, let's go to another big matchup here. I love this one. One of my favorite games of the week, Utah on the road at Florida in the swamp. Utah is a two and a half point favorite. The total is 51. Pac-12 champs. Florida hasn't been uh, Florida in the past couple seasons, but uh, once again, just because you're not good in the SEC doesn't mean you're not one of the best teams in the country. So this is a tough matchup for Utah, especially going on the road into the swamp. Is this a scenario where the wrong team is favored, Nick, or do we like the Utes to go in and take care of business? So this is the one game this week. Usually we have three or four in week one this year. It's, it's just the one um, we do have Florida favored. It's not by much, by about half a point. Um, we do have Florida with a talent edge outright of about two and a half points. Uh, the stats only model to, to no one's surprise. I'm sure uh, is big on Utah has, has Utah favored by about six and a half. Um, I think 
I would rather have Utah favored and probably would have rather have Utah uh, expected to cover. I do think that Florida will be improved this year. Uh, I do think uh, Florida's one of the, the rare teams where a new coach, uh, for me, the, the, at least the, you know my preseason expectation, um, a new coach will sort of give new life at Florida um, rather than, you know, a, a new head coach being a little bit of a, an unknown or, or uh, maybe even a, a negative in, in a lot of ways uh, early on. I, I think that we will see a better Florida team. I'm just not sure we will see it right away and playing, you know, what our numbers say and, and what a lot of people out there expect to be the best team in the Pac-12. Uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough draw it's a tough matchup and you know I do think that uh, Florida Field will be um, electric uh, and it is a long way to travel you know I'm not as worried about heat and humidity and, and things like that but uh, you know it takes a while to get from from Utah to to Gainesville and and um, the fact that Florida you know when the fan base is energized and you would expect first game for a new head coach and a you know top quality opponent. Uh, it'll be a pretty pretty uh, great home field advantage, big time environment. Um, I think there'll be a little bit of a, a an advantage for Florida there at home, but uh, those things you know it can it can fade a little bit if Utah comes out and uh, plays well early. And, you know, Florida, excuse me, Utah um, has been pretty consistent. They started slow last year, but a big part of their turnaround was moving to Cam Rising at quarterback. He's now fully entrenched. Um, They, you know, do have some talented guys to replace, most notably Devin Lloyd at linebacker. But um, they brought in some transfers and, and they have a pretty good track record of getting that side of the ball. Uh, up and running and and pretty effective, um, you know, consistently. So I think Utah is rightly favored. I think Utah will win. Uh, but maybe this is a game where, you know, the, the projections and, and sort of taking opinions out of it, uh, maybe we'll be on the right side of it, but I don't have uh, a whole lot of confidence. Our uh, official final uh, projections actually – uh, 28, 28, it, it's, it's, uh, like 28.2 and 7.8 or something like that. Um, but yeah, this, this hopefully will play out as, as one of the closest, uh, games in week one, but, um, I'm not so sure that, that our numbers have it quite right. I love this game, Xavier. I think this is going to be one of the best games of the week. And this is one where look, Billy Napier has a chance to put his stamp on this team very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, if Florida can go and beat up Utah, who, they, you know, all things being equal with the talent, they probably should win this game. But these are the t- types of games that Florida has been dropping to good teams with experience, even at home. Uh, a team like Utah can absolutely come in and win this. I'm with Nick where I don't have a good feel one way or the other in this game. How do you see this one playing out? Uh, Are you on the Florida side or on Utah in this one? 
yeah, you can talk yourself into Florida in this one. You know, Utah's coming to the swamp. It's a different atmosphere for being in the Pac-12. You know, the go-to at this time of the year, the humidity. You know, everybody likes to sure. play out humidity at this point. Oh, my God. Year, yes. Right? They love so bragging about and, their humidity down right. there. In how the lucky yes. and nasty it's going to be and, you know, how that's going to – maybe, maybe you know, the Utah players aren't ready for that. They might cramp up. You know, all, all the things that you can talk yourself into with Florida. At the end of the day, Utah's just a better team. And that's what I've kind of tried to stay with in this situation uh, is not trying to get locked in too much on the, the outside off the field type situations. Uh, obviously this is one of the better atmospheres in college football. So yes, that's going in the favor of Florida. You know, obviously, yes, they're playing in the South, you know, Utah, Utah is hot, but obviously not nearly as, as, you know, humid, but you know, at the end of the day, I think when it comes down to Utah, I, one Cam Rising gives me so much confidence in Utah. Not only, you know, did he show that he's a guy who can beat you on the ground with his legs and through the air, but he's a gamer. I mean, the the, the Rose Bowl showed you he's a gamer. He went toe to toe with CJ Scott for an entire ball game. You know, just coming up short. But it showed you that this is a kid that doesn't back down from the big moment, you know, on one of the biggest stages in college football, right? So, you know, when when you look at it that way, I just think that, you know, I'm, I'm uh, I'm excited to see what he's able to do in this atmosphere, but that gives me a ton of confidence for Utah. On the other end, defensively, I think they're better than what people are giving them credit for. This was a team last year that, you know, was a dominant force defensively. We saw so we saw in both Oregon games last year, and they made up for some of what they lost last year. Now, granted, you can't make up for a guy like Devin Lewis. That's just, you know, that's a that's a tough draw to do. But bringing in a guy like my uh, mood Diabate is obviously a, a start in the right direction. Um, on the opposite side, I just feel like there's a lot of what ifs with Florida at the moment. And, and the biggest one, obviously, being a quarterback, Anthony Richardson obviously has the the ear of every, you know, SEC fan going into this year. I think Florida fans can't shut up about that kid um, and what he can cannot do. I don't know how many times he's been, you know, they talked about his 40 time as if he's just going to be running in a straight line on the field. But, um, you know, I, you know, you look at their receiving core, ton of what ifs. Does Xavier Henderson take that next step? Does Justin uh, Shorter take that next step? You know, at the top, you know, at the tight end room, does Keon Zipper finally decide to be the tight end that you know he was thought to be when he came in? It's supposed just to a, be on Kyle Pitts level. Let's get it. Let's go. Of, what of ifs with Florida coming into this game? And I'm not a big ifs guy. What I do know is Utah is the better team. Utah also was coming off of the better year, and they didn't lose a ton of talent. Yeah, they lost some, obviously, but I don't think they lost enough for me to say Florida has caught up to them as far as what I'm going to be seeing on Saturday. The other piece of this is, you're absolutely right, Scott. What is Billy Dampier doing in his first primetime game? This yeah. is the biggest game of his career so far. And I don't, I'm not trying to, to lessen what Louisiana did, but nothing they did is going to be at the level of the kind of pressure he's going to be playing in this game. Just It, it just won't be. He has to play, you know, if he wins this game, he's starting off in a great situation, right? You beat a top 10 opponent in your first ever game for Florida, you're already riding off into the sunset for your first season. If they lose and they lose handedly, then the word, then people get to talk. And trust me, you don't want people to get to talking in Gainesville. It gets really bad and all of a sudden you're <laughs> off the back of the shark. You know what I'm talking about. So I, I think when it comes to this game, will Billy Napier – you know, decide that I'm going to be ballsy. I'm going to go for it on fourth down. You know, so similarly to what Lane Kiffin did last year in the in the Alabama game, does he coach a good enough game to win? That's another aspect that I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward sure. to. Or does he go a little bit too much, trying to do too much, and ultimately loses the game for his ball club and, the, and what his decision-making may be in his first ever primetime matchup as the new coach, uh, you know, uh, of Florida? 
Yeah, this is one of those games that Florida, these are the type of games that Florida has been losing. That's why yeah. there's a yeah. new head coach there. And I'm gonna stick with you guys. Uh I, I'm gonna be uh I'm gonna be in on Utah here. Um I would not bet this game. This game makes me terribly uncomfortable, but it should be a very, very fun game to watch. Speaking of fun to watch, game of the week, number one Ohio State versus two Ohio State, excuse, excuse me, our number one. But uh, number two on the uh, preseason polls here, and uh, Notre Dame uh, number five. Ohio State is a seventeen-point favorite at home. Fifty-nine is the total here. And look, this is if you're going to have national championship aspirations, you come out here and dominate Notre Dame with a brand new head coach, um, week one. But it ain't that simple. Not like Notre Dame is going to lay down and die. Uh, Freeman had those guys playing great at the end of the season. Um, and, and this is definitely the game of the week. We have another really good game here, but uh, this one is definitely for sure the game of the week. How do you see it playing out, Nick? Tough one to pick this early. Yeah, our uh, our projections aren't very far off uh, what the odds makers have. All three of our projection models have Ohio State favored by double digits. And you mentioned that the the Buckeyes are our number one team in our preseason power rankings. Um, they are, you know, just slightly favored over Alabama on a neutral field, according to our numbers. And, and we do uh, a big part of that is some expected improvement on the defensive side of the ball with the addition of Jim Knowles as defensive coordinator based on his track record. Uh, he's the 12th best defensive coordinator in, in college football, according to, um, you know, past team performance ratings um, and Ohio state, which is one of those elite recruiters uh, just the, the talent numbers are very, very difficult to beat and places like offensive line where they were top 10 unit in O-line performance, but uh, not the dominant, you know, number one type uh, team we thought they you know could be, or right now on paper, they look like they, they might be uh, similar for the defensive line. I mean, they ranked 10th in D-line performance last year, but the talent is there to be uh, top five, certainly maybe, you know, outside of Clemson, the potential to be one of the best defensive lines in the country. Um, but we just haven't seen it quite yet. And, and then the secondary has been dealing with some injuries, has had some depth issues and was a problem last year. They ranked 52nd uh, in defensive team performance against the pass. So um, Ohio State certainly, you know, still has some questions to answer, but should be the number one offense in the country. C.J. Stroud, Heisman finalist, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Trevion Henderson might be the best running back in the country. Oh. Jackson Smith and Jigba might be the best wide receiver in the country. Um, they're certainly, you know, you can make arguments for, for other guys, obviously, but uh, they are all American candidates and capable of putting up all American type numbers. So um, Ohio state is a team that we're just really, really, really high on. Uh, however, 17 and a half is, is just too many points for our projections, at least in the official model. Uh, we've got it at, right around 16 the talent edge model has ohio state favored by 11 and a half but the one that kind of caught my eye uh and i mentioned the prism model is the one that i'm most kind of tuned into and, and want to pay the closest attention to uh this year 
it's got Ohio State favored by 18 and a half. So um, I mentioned that we are, you know, on a lot of underdogs this week. So I paid close attention whenever we had a favorite, uh, you know, with a, with a bigger projected point spread. And this, this prism model, you know, 18 and a half is a big, big number for uh, two ranked teams. And, you know, Notre Dame is a top 15 team in our power rankings. We're lower on them than uh, the folks that vote in the AP poll. But our numbers still do respect Notre Dame and, and think they are a talented team on the defensive side of the ball. They are, you know, very experienced. Um, should you know continue to be a, a top twenty, top fifteen type defense. Offensively, a lot of talent, but much more turnover. They are ninety sixth in defensive, or excuse me, offensive returning production. Have a new quarterback in Tyler Buckner. Have to replace, uh, you know, an NFL running back in Kyron Williams. So there's some turnover there, but um, I think personally, I'm I'm glad we're on Notre Dame. Seventeen and a half just seems like too many points. Uh, however. We're obviously very, very high on Ohio State in the, that one model that didn't have a good week zero, but I think is set up to, to have a pretty decent year. Uh, the fact that it thinks Ohio State will cover um, is interesting to me. Uh, this this will certainly be um, you know a, a game that I am tuned into, and I think it has the potential to be a good game, but it also might be um, sort of our, our 2022 uh national introduction to just how dominant the Ohio State offense could be because um I think they're capable of of you know pulling away from anyone and and that includes Notre Dame so if they win this by you know 45 21 something like that uh I will not be at all shocked uh we are on the over but our final score prediction is 39 23 so you know 42-21 is definitely in, in the ballpark. Uh, 35-17 is as well, though. Uh, and, and in that case, Notre Dame would cover. So don't have a strong feeling one way or the other, but um, really, really looking forward to this one, uh, mostly for Ohio State reasons, but also you know intrigued to see Marcus Freeman and, and what a, a new look uh, Notre Dame team you know, might be able to do against what we think is the number one, or you know what our, our numbers say is is the number one team in the country. Xavier, I mean, is this a Ohio State beatdown? Do you like Notre Dame to make this close? Uh, how do you see this uh, playing out? I think Ohio State covers. I'm just going to come right out and say it. I've got this at 42-21. Uh, I think that my problem with Notre Dame is I just don't think that they have enough offensively to keep up with Ohio State. And we know when those horses get to going, it gets ugly. It can get ugly, and it can get ugly fast. Uh, and my thing with Notre Dame is, you know, I look at their team, and I go, okay, there's somewhat of a youth movement going on, but I, I, that doesn't bode well when you're going into a game against Ohio State. That's going to just show you so many different options offensively. You know, that they not they don't only have a passing game, right? It's not just C.J. Stroud and a bunch of receivers. Trayvon Henderson, like you said, Nick, is one of the top three running backs in the country. You know, if, if he can get that running game started, he could kill you just as much as that, you know, what just as much as that receiving court could. Uh, defensively, I think they've heard enough uh, of being the Achilles heel of this team, and I think that's the other piece to this. You know, um, just as much as Marcus Freeman has been showing off that Notre Dame, 
you know, is 17-point underdogs to his team. I think Ohio State has all the clippings in the world about their defense being the reason why they won the national championship last year, why they were in the playoff last year, why they, you know, they failed. They lost to Michigan for the first time in a couple of years, right? All because, you know, their, their defense obviously didn't show up when they were supposed to. So I think they've heard enough of that. I think they're going to play a little bit better. And the other thing about this, too, is I just don't like it when a, when a young quarterback has to walk into his first primetime game in the first game of the season. Tyler Buckner is walking into – a possible slaughter. And I just don't like that situation for him. Um, I think that, you know, when, when you're talking about a kid who's is going to be his first major star for Notre Dame and he's going to do it on prime time against a possible national championship contender, if not, you know, a, you know, one of the favorites to win the national title, it's going it to get, it could get ugly. It, all it takes is one errant throw, you know, and you know, you're down 14, nothing in the first six minutes of the game. And all of a yeah. sudden, it's a run. And that's where I feel like Ohio State has the propensity to do because their offense is, is, is so explosive, right? And you feel like you're, there's so much pressure to score because 50 points may not be enough to beat this offense, you know, depending on how well you play. Utah put up 52. They put up 55. So I, I just think that, you know, that's a lot of pressure on an offense. You know, boot the defense trying to stop them. You also have to think about what an offense has to do to keep up with that if your defense isn't getting the necessary stops. And I just think that's way too much to be to, to, uh, too much of a burden to be putting on this offense with such a young quarterback at the helm and the first year head coach uh, with Freeman. I think just, that's a ton to have to face in your, in your, in game one. We talked about this with Alabama before, you know, don't feel bad if you lose to Alabama and you're a ranked opponent game one. I feel the same thing about Notre Dame. Don't, don't, don't feel bad if Ohio State beat you by three scores, they might be 75% of their schedule by that same margin. So, Give me Ohio State. Give me Ohio State to cover in this ballgame. Yeah, and, and look, I, I'm I'm with you uh, in, in this game, and it, it's just like you said, it's tough. This is Buckner's first start on the road in the horseshoe yeah. on national television against the number two team in the country. That is a brutal start. Freeman's first, you know, not his first game he's coaching, but uh, you know, first time he knows he's going to be head coach a whole year. And, um, you know, uh, it's just, it's a lot to ask these guys. I mean, we we saw, we saw, uh, CJ Stroud, the opposite quarterback struggle in his first major start against, you know, a a ranked opponent last year with, with Oregon. Right. You know, and that he wasn't great and it it ended up being, you know, their sole loss, you know, their, their, uh, that loss of the year before the Michigan game, but you saw the, the, you know, the youthfulness and his decision-making in that game. And he wasn't playing nearly the opponent that Tyler Butler's playing. So, right. Yeah, exactly. So I'm uh, I'm with you guys uh, on this one. Let's go to the next one up. Georgia on the road against Oregon. Uh, Georgia is a 17 and a half point favorite. Uh, 53 is the over under on this game. Uh, Nick, how do we see this one playing out? Uh, Georgia, obviously, they had a lot of talent go to the NFL as well. But, you know, those big, big recruiting classes over the last couple of years, Seems like they just retool, reloaded, and rock and roll, and they're still big favorites in this game. Yeah, I, I definitely think they have the potential uh, to be one of the best teams in the country again. They're third in our preseason power rankings, defending national champs, obviously. Um, this matchup, uh, very similar in a lot of ways to what we said about Notre Dame and Ohio State. I mean, on, on one side, you've got uh, one of the playoff favorites, uh, one of the elite 
recruiting teams um, roster just in, in terms of raw talent is tough to match. One of the top three teams in the country. Um, however, you know, on the other side, also pretty talented group, uh, but a new head coach, some unknowns, some transition, uh, you know, at quarterback and, and some other areas uh, where it's understandable that this number is as big as it is, you know, 17 and a half is um, uh, quite surprising to some. Uh, this is technically a neutral site game, though it is in Atlanta. So, you know, 45 minutes uh, or so, depending on who's driving from Athens to Atlanta. Um, and, you know, Eugene is is uh, not as <laughs> not as close, you know, have to have to drive to Portland and then fly cross country. It's it's uh, there's definitely going to be um a lot more Georgia fans and, and uh, a, a lot more of the travel, you know, logistics uh, are in Georgia's favor on, on that end of it. But um, the numbers, sort of the way that the three different models look at this, quite different in some ways uh, to the Ohio State and Notre Dame game, because uh, on the one hand, we do have Georgia uh, favored by nearly three touchdowns, I mean, 19 points in the stats only model. That's not a surprise because these are the defending national champions uh, and they're playing an Oregon team that um, was good, but uh, it, it definitely towards the end of the year um, didn't quite play up to its talent profile. Uh, so the number, you know, got, got big. And, and uh, on the other hand, because Georgia is as young as it is, I mean, they just in terms of raw talent, um, you know, we've got the different breakdowns position group by position group as to how they uh, average you know, 247 rating and rivals rating and things like that. And by Georgia's, you know, groups, there's a lot of twos and threes. I mean, number two offensive line, number three wide receiver and tight end, number three running back, number two linebacker, number three defensive backs. Um, so just raw talent. I mean, it's it's uh, Alabama, it's Ohio State, and it's Georgia, and then in a lot of ways, uh, a decent little gap between number three and number four. But Georgia, I mean, you mentioned everything that Cincinnati lost. The one team that lost more talent to the NFL was Georgia, and defensively, uh, I mean, what is it? One, two, three, four, five first round picks on the defensive side of the ball, and so because our roster strength numbers are adjusted for experience and career production, Georgia takes a, a, just a little bit of a hit. And Oregon, um, you know, does have certainly some turnover, but uh, didn't lose but one NFL draft pick. And, you know, number five overall came on Thibodeau, but um, they rank, you know, in the 60s and 70s in returning production categories. And they've got some experience brought in a lot of transfers who are probably going to play some significant roles. And so the talent numbers, at least in terms of, of roster strength, where Georgia ranks number eight and Oregon ranks number 11, pretty close. And so the talent edge is actually closer to a field goal uh, projection for Georgia. So, you know, relatively uh, similar numbers as far as, you know, 
uh, unit versus unit and, and player versus player. But Georgia has a stronger track record, uh, certainly a stronger track record for head coach, even though another interesting layer to this, of course, the new head coach in Oregon is defensive coordinator for Georgia last year. So he knows the personnel well, knows uh, the way the opposing head coach Kirby Smart you know, likes to attack things, likes to plan every you know, detail from uh, the summer to the weekly preparation and, and all of that. Uh, so maybe there's a little bit of an advantage there for Oregon. Um, but uh, this is a game that Georgia should win, probably should win by double digits. Our official projection is closer to 11. And so our, our projected final score is 32-21. You know, 35-21, certainly possible. Could get to uh, 38 or, or, or even more um, if some of that you know, just pure talent grows up quickly, more quickly than our numbers uh, give those guys credit for. Um, but also this Oregon team, I, I think in some ways is, is uh, got the potential to surprise. And, um, you know, Bo Nix is always a little bit of a wild card. He's expected to start for Oregon, has experience with Georgia, has played, you know, that defense multiple times. It's a similar defense to what they run at Alabama, of course. He's played that defense before um, and at times played quite well. So uh, there are just some some interesting uh, familiarities on the Oregon side that that might give them, you know, just a little bit better of a chance uh, than what most people would expect to be a pretty easy Georgia win. So I, I'm glad that we're on Oregon to keep it within two touchdowns. Uh, I do, again, think that this is a game that Georgia, you know, will and, and should win. Uh, probably won't be, you know, a last second field goal either. However, 17, 17 and a half is, is still a pretty big number, especially when we're talking about an Oregon team that, you know, ranked 16th in our power rankings. And uh, I think has the potential to, to challenge in the Pac-12. So um, hopefully, you know, for our numbers sake, they'll be able to, to keep it close into the second half. Uh, but chances are Georgia's probably going to pull away. What do you think of this game, Xavier? I mean, this is a very interesting one. Uh, I, I feel like I can hear you saying Georgia is going to dominate this game. Am I right in that? Uh, and is that is that your call? And and I mistakenly said Georgia home game. I knew it was at uh, the Mercedes Benz, but if that, I mean that's a home game for yeah, it's a neutral site game, but it, it is a home game, like Nick said. Logistically, it makes it real, real easy uh, yeah, for Georgia yeah. Georgia fans to get there. So, how do you see this one playing out? Does Oregon have a shot? Yeah, Oregon. <laughs> listen, the game starts zero zero. So there you go. And that, that's the shot that they have to, to score first if they take the kickoff or, or if, they, if they receive. So I just, you know, and this is not as much of me being a homer as much as I just genuinely don't think that Oregon has the horses to cause Georgia all that much trouble. Um, when, when you look at their receiving core, I'm not too terribly worried. I think that would be, you know, Georgia's biggest concern at this point is the is you look at maybe what a team has on the outside. You remember the SEC championship game from last year and how much they struggled with those receivers, but there's no Jamison Williams walking onto this field. You know, I, I just don't think that Oregon has the quarterback play either to, to really threaten Georgia's secondary. 
Kirby Smart said it in a press conference earlier this week. He said, we know the quarterback at Oregon very well. We, we have seen him a ton. And uh, they have. Uh, they, they have seen Bo Nix a lot in his time at Auburn. Now, you know, his time at Oregon. And I don't think much has changed from, from what, you know, we'll see from Bo Nix on Saturday. He's a mobile quarterback that has the ability to run. Uh, maybe sometimes favors running over throwing. Um, and if you give him time, he can hurt you. But nine times out of ten, you know, he's had trouble being given that time at Auburn. Now, I will give him that credit. They, they do have a better offensive line here at Oregon and that maybe he's played behind at Auburn. Or, well, definitely that he's played behind at Auburn. So it should give him more of an opportunity to sit in the pocket and throw it around. But I'm also not 100% sure that that's, you know, what Bo Nick's strength has been. You know, I think his mobility has been his biggest, you know, strength uh, to this point in his career. Um, you know, keeping plays alive, you know, and, and throwing those, you know, uh, you know, scramble rules has been something that he's, you know, lean on. So I, I think when we look at this game from an Oregon perspective, I'm just not so sure that they have the requisite offense to really scare Georgia's defense, which is probably their weakest part, you know, and that's why I haven't really hit on the offense yet for Georgia, uh, because I think the defense is obviously what everybody's going to be paying attention to with all of the talent that was lost. Um, so it's going to be on Oregon to be able to attack those, you know, those weaknesses, um, you know, especially up front with having so many new players, um, you know, Ty, uh, Ingram Dawkins, Zion Lowe, guys whose names have been in and around Georgia for a while now, but just haven't gotten the, the, the playing time, you know, sitting behind guys like Jordan Davis, um, you know, and company. So that, that's going to be huge from Oregon. Now, let, let, I'm going to get to the point where why I think Georgia wins this game outright. And, and this is the first time I've been able to say this in a long time. But Georgia's offense returns a ton. Everybody talks about how much their defense was bludgeoned. Yes, they lost a ton of defensive talent. Offensively, not so much. You lose Amir White, James Cook, George Pickens, who barely played last year. Um, so you you really didn't have to use him as much. So losing him doesn't necessarily count as much as maybe it would if he had a full season. You look at the receiving core, it returns pretty much every important piece. You know, you return Adonai Mitchell, you return Matt McConkey, you return Kiaris Jackson, and you even get Arian Smith back from injury. Um, and Dominic Blaylock, who comes back from injury as well from last season. You also return the most important piece of that offense. Their tight end room, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington. Eric Gilbert gets a piece of the action as well this year uh, being added to it. Obviously, you return Stetson Bennett and you return, you know, two of the four running backs that you used for a large period of last year, which was Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. So offensively, Georgia should be ready to go. You know, you look at their offensive line as well. Lost very little, ta- very little high-level talent. You lost Jamari Sawyer, uh, who obviously was kind of a, a guy who played across the offensive line for you last year. But you bring back, you know, Van Pran. You you stave off uh, Amarius Mims going into the transfer portal, and he comes back again. So he, you know, that's a huge win for them as well. Offensively, this team should just roll, and that's why I, be, I feel like Georgia is going to be able to win this game pretty handedly. Is their offense, not necessarily their defense, uh, because I think that. You see Stetson Bennett take that next step with the comfortability around him. You see, you know, them try to really, you know, expand that offense from what I feel like it was really a game manager offense last year into being more of a team that can win with their offense this season. So, and, I'm not, and I don't think Oregon has the, the horses to run with these guys on a consistent basis. You know, I, I can't wait to see what Noah Sewell does against Brock Bowers. That'll either help or hurt his draft stock. But I, either way, I think he's one of the better linebackers in college football. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that matchup. But when Georgia comes out there with, you know, you know, three receivers and two tight ends and you don't know which one's going to get the ball because all of them could kill you, that's just a, a ton of talent that you have to deal with. And if Stetson Bennett can play anywhere near the level of what he was down the stretch of last year's season, this offense should be the best part of Georgia going into this year. All right. Uh, next game up here, we got Florida State 
on Sunday on the road against LSU. Uh, LSU is a three and a half point favorite in this game. 51 and a half is the line here. Um, you know, uh, we're high on LSU, Nick. So I'm assuming that this is one of the games that uh, we think that LSU is going to win handedly. Uh, is that right? We are high on LSU. Some might say too high on LSU. Um, we've made some adjustments <laughs> to try to temper uh, them just a little bit. All signs are pointing toward Jaden Daniels starting, but we still have he and Garrett Nussmeyer, who is about a 10 point, no, 13 point, uh, you know, downgrade as far as their individual player ratings, just mostly for um, experience reasons. Uh, you know, so we, we tried to, to uh, cut down that quarterback rating just a little bit. John Emery, the running back, former five-star who is expected to be able, you know, to play this year after missing all of last season for academic reasons, is currently uh, suspended. Uh, same sort of deal. Not sure exactly why it's carrying over from one year to the next, but sounds like he's going to miss at least this game, maybe a couple um, but you know, he's taken out of the, the projections and, and, um, we can't really do much more than that, uh, because, you know, we don't want to, uh, mess with the numbers too much and, and throw our own opinions in there. But right now, as we mentioned in our top 10 preview, we've got LSU ranked number five in our power rankings. To me, that seems like it's a, a bit too high. Um, but they are a very, very talented team. They are hopefully a little healthier than they were last season. And, you know, Brian Kelly's got a pretty good track record as a head coach, love him or hate him. Um, the coordinators on either side, yeah, there, there maybe are some questions. Um, but Kelly himself is, is uh, proven at this point. So uh, another thing that I'll be keeping an eye on. Florida State has played a game and LSU has not. And some people kind of laughed at what Brian Kelly said. I don't know if you guys saw this quote or not. Uh, we said that, you know, Florida State's advantage is that they've played a game. Our advantage is that we haven't. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, you know, contradictory little, little. Uh... It makes sense. So you can see it both ways. Right, right. You know, and, and I... having a game under your belt and a win under your belt. You gain a little confidence, you gain a little continuity, um, but you also put stuff on paper, you know, oh, for you, sure you show yourself. So uh, the, the other team knows a little bit of the game plan, a little bit of what to prep for. So yeah, it definitely cuts both ways. But my, my thing there is I think LSU has a gigantic advantage in not having played a game because um, they have been planning for this game the entire offseason. This is the game that they've been planning for. They didn't plan for anybody else. I mean, I'm sure Florida State overlooked who was it, Duquesne mm -hmm. last week. So, you know, I'm sure they look past them a little bit to LSU, of course. But this is a game with no distractions. LSU has been preparing for the entire offseason. So I feel like LSU should walk in this game. Yeah, and, and this is another one of those neutral site games. It's not really a neutral site game. Um 
there's also a, a little bit of note I thought was interesting. I don't remember exactly who tweeted it today. My apologies for not giving the, the proper credit, but uh, somebody posted a list of, of uh, you know, 30 or, or 25 um, uh, times in recent years when one team had played like a week zero or a, a, an opening game and the opponent had not. Uh, the opponent that had not played covered 57% of the time. So, you know, decent little edge there, not not gigantic, but, um, you know, I'd love if our projections were 57% for the whole year. So uh, that's, you know, another little uh, perhaps positive sign in LSU's favor there. But, yeah, our, our projections, we've got LSU favored by uh, more than a touchdown officially. Um, the talent edge is almost double digits and the stats model is double digits. Uh, so we are certainly on LSU, uh, to, to win this game, to cover, um, we will, or, you know, I will, the, the numbers will be, uh, humbled really quickly if things, uh, you know, if this is a ugly LSU win or if it's a, uh, an outright loss, which is not, you know, Certain, certainly possible, um, but our current final score prediction is 33 to 26. I think that's a perfectly reasonable outcome, um, but LSU, you know, as our expected most overrated team, uh, certainly mine, I don't know exactly if, if uh, you guys feel the same way, but I, I bet they would be on your short list. Um I will be watching their performance very closely because uh, I personally will be a bit of an LSU fan because as a top five team <laughs> in our projections, we we need a, a double digit winning season. And I'm not super optimistic, but, you know, there are some positive signs and, and maybe uh, we'll see a glimpse of some of those uh, Sunday night against Florida State. Xavier, what do you think here? I mean, uh, like I said, I, I like LSU because they're the team that haven't played the game uh, in, in this group. Um, but if Florida State wants to get back, they've got to win these games. But the same is true for LSU. I think I just trust Brian Kelly a little bit more than I trust Norvell. I trust the talent in the SEC a little bit over the ACC in general. So, and, you know, like Nick said, another neutral site game that's not really a neutral site game as this game will be in the Superdome. Uh, right. So this is an LSU home game. But what do you think here? Do you think Florida State's got a shot? Yeah, FSU absolutely has a chance. And I think that comes down for me to LSU's lack of, you know, bona fide quarterback play as of right now. I do believe in Jaden Daniels, but he hasn't, as Nick has alluded to multiple times on this podcast, hasn't had the year that we all thought, the years that we all thought he may have since his freshman year when he kind of came on the scene and kind of exploded. Um, you know, and obviously LSU is looking for that guy to be the guy for them this season. Uh, but yeah, that's my biggest concern with them. Outside of that, really, it should be LSU's game to lose. You know, I think they have a better receiving core. Kayshawn Bouti might be the first receiver taken. One of the first receivers taken. That's just how good he is. Um, he's my favorite doing the Belenikoff this year. Um, I, I think that this is a team that offensively can roll with anybody at this point, um, especially with a four state team that I'm not – too excited about what they have on the outside. Um, a lot of young guys, a lot of unproven uh, um, entities. I'm not a huge fan of Jordan Travis. I'll just be honest with you. And they don't have a second option. 
we Tay Rodemaker looked terrible against Duquesne. So they don't have a second option to go to. If it's not Travis, then it's nobody. Uh, so I, I think that when you, you look at it that way, I, I'm not a huge fan of their running game. They don't have anybody for me that just, you know, screams big hitter uh, or a big play guy on a consistent basis. Uh, LSU did an amazing job in the transfer portal this year. They were one of the top five teams in transfer ranking this year. They did. They went in. They lost a ton of guys, but they also brought a ton of guys in. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, outside of it needing to gel, they should be pretty fine. Their secondary, obviously, is the place that I'm most concerned about because that's where they brought in the most transfers. You know, uh, you know, uh, Jarek Bernard Converse, Seven Banks, Quad Wilson, all of which are transfers. Uh, uh, you know, us, um, also you have Greg Brooks, who's going to be playing their nickelback transfer. You know, Joe Foucha transfer. So that is where the only concern is for me. But I don't think Florida State can take advantage of it. I'll be completely honest with you. I'm not so sure how much of an advantage it will be because I don't know if Jordan Travis is going to be able to sit back there and throw it 35 times in this game and pick apart a secondary that necessarily hasn't gotten, you know, going yet. Um, I just – there's too many things going in the wrong direction for Florida State in this game for me to say that they're going to beat LSU. But, once again, I wouldn't be surprised because I think both teams, as, as Scott, you alluded to, are at the same – point kind of in their you know in their current life cycle both teams need a win both teams yes. need a good season both teams have come off you know were were successful in the 2010s and need at this point to be successful in the 2020s mike norvell needs a good season or he might be out just let's call it what it is florida state does not you know you know keep bad coaches for long and I wouldn't be surprised if this was his last or second to last year if it, if it went, you know, downhill. And for Brian Kelly, you know, amongst all the things that he was able to do at LSU, he needs to be able to win, you know, and this is a statement win. Whoever wins this game, it's a statement win. Because regardless of how good the teams are, the names carry the weight on their own. You beat LSU, you beat Florida State, carries enough weight on its own when we're talking about interconference games. So, Give me LSU to win. I love their offensive talent just a lot, you know, a lot more than what I love on the Florida State side. And I think that's the determining factor for me. I just love what LSU has on the outside. I need to get to, you know, uh, you know, Malik Neighbors at all. Jack Beck was actually a pretty good receiver for them as well last year. I just feel like I, I love what they have on the outside. I think they'll be able to exploit that more than what Florida State does. All right. So, look, Xavier brought this up last week. And we're going to make it a regular segment here for him. Uh, Xavier, you said you had some teams on Fraud, Fraud Watch. Watch. Fraud Watch uh, piqued our interest here. So who is on Fraud Watch for this week? Ole Miss and Troy. Yeah. Fraud Watch for Jackson Dart. I'm looking directly at you, sir. You have to beat Troy. And you don't just have to beat Troy. You got to dismantle because the, 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 the buck is out. We all know that there wasn't, you know, the greatest of spring practices. We all know that you didn't look all that great in the spring game. We haven't heard the best of things coming from fall camp. We're giving you the benefit of the doubt because Lane Kiffin is your head coach. But we also have the first year at USC where you were okay. If you have a poor outing versus Troy, win the game or not, if you play poorly, the expectations from Ole Miss drop tremendously. And, you know, yes, they're ranked 21 coming to the game. I'm not going to sit here and, and go out on the, the, the you know, huge limb that Troy will win this game. But I got Troy covering. I got Troy covering close, too. You know, Ole Miss is a 21-and-a-half point favorite. That is malarkey. I'm going to call it what it is. That just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I, I once again, I think it's the betters in Vegas giving, you know, the benefit of the doubt to a Lane Kiffin offense. 
But when you see Lane Kiffin's offense, what's a bad quarterbacks? It's not all the same. So I, I think that, you know, Ole Miss, you have to perform well. You need to cover to, to give the confidence of, a, of being ranked 21st in the preseason, which I thought that was ridiculous to begin with. So, you know, Ole Miss, you better cover. That's all I'm saying. And if they don't, like I said, their expectations for the rest of the season in my head have dropped tremendously. Troy, on the on the flip side, we talked about how good your defense is. Show us if you're able to, you know, you know, hunker down a, a Lane Kiffin offense, then that'll go a long way in showing us that Troy might be a, a team that really competes in the Sun Belt this year and, and ruins some possible, you know, seasons. You know, so the Ole Miss has got to be a team right now that's on my fraud watch. What, what do you think about? Uh... You, what is the line, Nick? I don't see it here on UTSA in Houston. Uh, what is that line? Uh, Houston by four. Houston by four. Is that fraud watch uh, just overall for Houston being a top 25 uh, ranked team now? Uh, you know, th- this is they got to win this game if they want to stay ranked. That's true. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's um, I misspoke earlier when I said that. Uh, Florida was our one and only uh, wrong team favored. Uh, this UTSA actually we have as a, a slight favorite and somewhat similar similar to Florida. I don't have really uh, you know a ton of confidence in that one. Agnostic but as I mentioned, to it. That's, that's yeah. been a pretty good spot for us in the past. So uh, Houston, as we discussed in our preview series, I think is uh, the most likely. New Year's Six uh, team out of the the Power Five, and if they were to lose this game, um, that would be a big, you know, negative uh, spot for their resume. Even if they were able to to run the table, um, it you know might allow somebody else to to sneak in. UTSA very very good team, obviously, and coming off a, a historic season for the program, um, but you know losing to another G5 team, even on the road, uh, would potentially be difficult for, for Houston to, to come back from. So I like it. Are there any other games you want to hit here before we uh, get out, Nick? What other games do you like? Well, so with Xavier's fraud watch, a couple of others came to mind for me. One, first of all, our numbers completely agree uh, with his take on Troy. All three of our projections have uh, Ole Miss favored by single digits. So not yeah. just, yeah, uh, not not three touchdowns, but by, by single digits. So if we were in the, you know, best bet of the week of the century or whatever uh, <laughs> business, that would be one that might fit the bill. Uh, seems like it'll be a little bit closer, at least, the way we calculate things uh, Two that stuck out to me. Um, NC state is on a lot of people's, um, you know, kind of dark horse uh, playoff, certainly ACC title contending list. They're ranked they 13 a, to start. They, yeah. they could get there. Yeah. They have a pretty tough road trip. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, in state and a rival of sorts. Um, but, East Carolina is a pretty experienced team that improved a lot last year um, and a pretty rowdy home field environment that um, could be difficult for a team with high expectations 
coming in and in week one, you know, having to knock off the rust a little bit, having to, um, you know, see how they react to hearing so many positive things all off season about their quarterback, their defense and, and uh, all of that. So pretty, you know, that that's one to me that, again, we don't have NC State as a double digit favorite in, in any of our three projection models. Uh, and, and they're currently a 12 point favorite in the uh, VI consensus. And another one that that I'm a little bit surprised uh, Xavier didn't bring up, but um, South Carolina hosting Georgia State. And our numbers really do like Carolina's talent and you know this is one where the the talent edge model uh has south carolina covering the the 12 um no problem but the stats only model actually has georgia state as an outright favorite so that that's one that um you know caught my attention uh we're pretty high on georgia state think that they you know if they were in the sunbelt west would probably be the favorite um, but uh, are in the tougher division, but a a pretty difficult week one opponent, um, a, a test there for a remade South Carolina, uh, you know, roster in, in the yeah. second year under Shane Beamer that also has you know, been spending a, a, the off season hearing about how improved they are and how great last season was and, and things like that. So uh, kind of an interesting match up there for me as well they're definitely on my list i just didn't get to it we didn't we didn't set rules for fraud watch you can have you can have you know two or three if you want that's that's fair because they are definitely on my list you you think a team is coming in as overly confident as south carolina in the country i don't think there is one i'm completely honest with you i I think they've heard yeah yeah but but i mean it's not it's not like South Carolina has all that swagger. Maybe they do, but oh, they we're just hearing. But, but we're just hearing it from publications, really. Uh, it's it, it's the talking heads uh, more than anything. I feel like, right? I would say it's a little bit of both. That's okay. Not sugarcoat. Shane Beamer is smelling is, is drinking his own Kool Aid. I, I do not believe in this. I would not be surprised in the slightest if this guy comes home and has a picture of himself on the wall. Just putting it. Just putting this in. This is a guy who loves him some Shane Beamer. This is a guy who loves him some South Carolina football. And I would not be shocked in the slightest that he is loving everything he is hearing about how he's flipped and changed the school. That soul has this, you know, rich history and is going to get back to that. And South Carolina is going to get back to the top of the SEC East. Oh, it's coming. Oh, the, 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 the rise is great right before the fall. And I like Georgia State in week one in this game. I think that their running game, once again, is, is amazing to bring back a ton of seniors from last year's team. Their defense, I think, takes a ne- another step in the right direction. And I think this is a game that we're looking at midway through the third quarter, and we're like, yo, this is getting hairy. And let's see what happens. Let, let, let's see what happens down the stretch. Will, will, will we see another Tennessee situation, or will we see an Auburn situation where, you know, they win by the hair on their chance? Am I not supposed to have pictures of myself on the wall? Not at all. <laughs> yeah, I just I can't imagine that that's what uh, Nick's house would look like because I I, I feel if Nick was going to do that he just why make it pictures let's go with wallpaper if we're going to do it let's do it right here you know I mean come on at least a fat head or something you know uh but uh all right anything else guys I don't want to cut anyone short I don't want to miss anything is there anything else we need to hit before we uh take off and head towards 
week one of the college football season. Well, I mean, how about you? Is there anything Is that there you're looking forward to? Or, or... I, I mean, for, for me, um, I think uh, a game that I'm, you know, mildly interested in, uh, I want to see if Illinois can keep uh, a little momentum and beat Indiana on the road. I'm interested mm-hmm. in that game. Uh, obviously, the Texas game. I just want to see some good QB. I was going to ask you, you know, ULM covers. I mean, you guys are thirty-eight point favorites. Yeah, ULM usually does. So, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think those lines are so stupid. No one should be betting on that game. Is what what I think. Like anything over thirty-five, sixty-three to three, or it's going to be yeah, uh, uh, thirty-five to fourteen. It's going to be thirty-five to fourteen. It's going to be twenty-one to fourteen for a quarter and a half, and I'm going to be losing my mind. That, that's that's you're absolutely right, Nick. That's exactly uh, how it's gonna gonna play out. Um, I'm interested to see Michigan open up at home against Colorado State. You know, not that I think thirty to me State. seems like too ridiculous. Thirty and a half I mean, they, is what what I see right here. So I mean, there there are a lot of smart people who think that Michigan is just as good, if not better, as they were last year, and they right. dominated Western Michigan in Week One last year. Uh, but that Colorado State team, I think, is going to be improved, and that's just that's a lot of points. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. I'll be honest. Yeah, th- thirty and a half is too much. Is too much, right? Especially for an offense that doesn't, I don't think puts is going to put up that much. Uh, to be perfectly honest, with you, I think Colorado State can at least put up twenty-one points. If you can put up twenty-one, that means they would have to score what. 51 to cover. I'm good. You know, the the other part to this is nine times out of 10 coaches like to call off the dogs in these games. And if they're up 41, 21 with six minutes left, Michigan's probably not going to be out there slinging the ball around. You know, uh, the the other things I want to see, I want to see how USC opens Mm -hmm. with a completely, uh, you know, turned over coaching staff. I think they play rice, right? So like, I mean, who cares? Uh, you know, I the, the, the score is not going to be what I care about. I just want to see that. It, same thing on Oklahoma side. Oklahoma's ranked nine, you know, yep. and they're 31-point mm-hmm. favorites, another giant favorite against UTEP. And both so of those opponents, I mean, UTEP is is they take shots down the field, so they, they don't just milk the clock, but they also, you know, UTEP and Rice both – operate somewhat methodically on offense. And so if they are able to, uh, you know, string drives, get a few first downs. Yeah. I mean, they, they have the the potential to uh, milk the clock a little bit and, and as 30 plus point underdogs. I mean, yeah, I was trying to, to get our projected pace numbers up real quick here. Uh, UTEP 120th in projected pace. Uh, and then Rice is la, 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 122nd. So, I mean, if you know, if they're going three and out, that's not going to mean anything. If yeah. they're giving up, you know, 60 yard touchdowns, that's that's I think the problem potentially for Colorado State is that Michigan can, I mean, those you know, Quorum and Edwards are, are big play guys. Uh, so if they just break off a couple of 50 yard runs. Uh, then it'll get out of hand quick. But um, yeah, if, if Rice and UTEP can move the chains every once in a while, 
Uh, they might just play slow enough, play enough, keep away to to keep that respectable. I got two more uh, numbers. I got two more numbers. I'm done. Okay, right. go ahead. Uh, Mississippi State being favored by that, being 15 point favorite. I don't like that number. I don't like that number at all. Uh, I think Mississippi State, for as good as they are, in some games they look great. In other games they look pedestrian. I don't like them being 15 point favorites in that one. And Maryland being a 23-and-a-half-point favorite over Buffalo. I'm just not 100% sure about that. I Yeah, I, I think that, you know, as, as much excitement as they have at the receiver position, as much as people think Talia is going to take that next step this year, they could come out and look the exact same as they did last season. And they'll win that game by 10 to 14. And they'll get away with a win, but to say that they're going to win by almost three touchdowns, a little too rich for my blood. I don't want to mess with that one at all, the Maryland one. Uh, I just, that that's, there's a lot of offensive talent in Maryland. So I don't want to screw with that one, but I will say I was surprised, Nick, that Mississippi state was 15 point favorites, uh, even at home against Memphis. What, where do we see that game? Are we on the Mississippi state side? Or are we on the Memphis side there? We're on the Memphis side. We're on a lot of underdogs, uh, officially, but closer to a touchdown than two touchdowns on the official model. Double digits in the talent and the uh, prism model, but but still all three are on uh, Memphis to cover. That that one, so Mississippi State has a history. I mean, they lost to Memphis last year, right? So they they have that very recent example. Um, it was somewhat controversial, um, but Mississippi State on the one hand, as we've discussed, I think is is going to give a lot of teams trouble this year, but they don't always take care of business in these non-conference games and put them away. Um, so it could certainly be a situation where they just kind of let Memphis hang around uh, and they have to win close late. So I don't hate that we're on Memphis in that one, um, but a game that, that Mississippi State probably should win um, and won't, won't be surprised if they cover, but uh, also, you know, nothing they do really surprises me. So if it's a, a close <laughs> game in the fourth quarter, um, that would seem, you know, about right as well. All right, last one uh, before we go here that I want to ask you about. Um, on the opposite end, we see so many of these uh, 30-point favorites and all that stuff. little surprise to look down and see number 20, Kentucky, only 16.5-point favorites at home against Miami, Ohio. I know, uh, I believe the, the Red Hawks are, don't they have uh, a decent amount returning here? I know Gabbert returns, so I think they were one of the higher sides of returning production, correct? Uh, so, yeah, Blaine Gabbert back. Uh, Matt Kippenhammer is back, wide receiver. Um, they aren't really high. They lost a lot of guys on defense. They're high defense. Yeah. Robinson. I know they lost. Big, big they game. lost some big time transfers. Uh, Cameron Butler to Virginia, Ivan Pace to Cincinnati. Um, they also, you know, lost some depth guys as well. Uh, Lonnie Phelps to Kansas. So, you know, three, three major impact players. Um, so should this line be bigger? Do we think? So the thing for this one, is, uh, you know, Miami is also a team that can be methodical, can kind of ugly up a game a little bit. Uh, Gabbert is pretty good. I mean, he's, he's started 25 games. He's been productive. 
they're 90th in projected pace. So not, you know, super, super slow, but also not, not very fast either. On the slower end, yeah. But the what what this line probably has more to do with, if I were to uh, guess, Kentucky's got some major impact players suspended. Uh, Christopher Rodriguez is going to be out at least this game. Um, Jordan Wright is going to be out at least for this game. There, I think, are a couple of others uh, as well. Um, so I, 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 I'm guessing just a little bit of the uncertainty on the personnel side for Kentucky is why this is, is how it is. We're on Miami to, um, to cover, cover. but not by a big margin. That's, that's one of our closer projections. We have it closer to, to two touchdowns. Um, but the talent model has Kentucky covering and the prism model also has Kentucky covering. So um, I agree with you that that I would have expected this line to be, you know, 21, something, something more along those lines. Uh, but Miami's, uh, you know, they're going to be one of the uh, – they're going to be in the mix in the MAC, I would expect, and do have a good quarterback and, you know, some, some – uh, at least one big-time playmaker and receiver in that given era. So interesting, interesting one. All right. Well, that will wrap it up for us for week one. Uh, We hope you guys enjoy all the games, obviously a lot on Thursday and Friday uh, leading up to Saturday. And then we have a Sunday game and a Monday game too. So lots and lots of football to cover for this week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at CFB Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier Trish underscore T-R-I-C-H-E. Uh, for Xavier Trish, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.